thank him for the opportunity to stand before you, quite literally, actually. So um, I'd like to turn to the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And we'll start reading at the ninth verse. So this is Matthew 9, 9, just for context. And Jesus passed from thence. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Brethren, we live in a world filled with pain. We can see it on every hand. There is pain of addiction. There is father absence is the leading cause of poverty. Doesn't matter what color your skin is. If, if there's no father in the home, the chances are much greater that of that home being in poverty. In fact, statistically, if you do three things, you can avoid poverty. Three things. Finish high school. You know, we think that everybody has to have a college degree to be successful, okay? And that's not necessarily true. There are lots of very well-paying careers that do not require a college education. And, of course, the people the colleges are spitting out now... um, you might not want to employ. So finish high school, because that's important. I think just about everybody I'm looking at has probably already done that. But that, finish high school. Get married. And then have children. If you do it in that order. Now, getting married and having children in that order That's God's way. And God's way always works. Okay? Man's ways don't work. Unless they just happen by coincidence to be God's ways. Okay? But God's ways always work. That's three simple things. And your chances of being in poverty are dramatically reduced. But there's so much poverty because people aren't doing those three simple things. And there is a lot of pain in our world. And brethren, I can say unequivocally by the word of God that our pain 
And let's embrace, it's not their pain. It's our pain. Because I, 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 maybe the little one you've got right now is free from pain, but I doubt it. Every one of us has a pain story, don't we? Every one of us has a pain story. And all pain, our pain is all a product of sin. Now, be careful. I did not say, nor do I mean to imply, that every pain, every hardship, every form of suffering can be traced to a particular sin in someone's life. That's not true. We can consider the case of Job. The scriptures say, God says, the Holy Ghost testifies that he was righteous. Now, he certainly participated in original sin like the rest of us. That The scriptures do not say he was exempt from that. In fact, the scriptures say the only one who was exempt from original sin is Christ. But it says that he did not suffer what he suffered because of his sins. And that's a very interesting case. I don't want to chase that rabbit too far because we could spend it to the afternoon. But Job was selected. We know this. Elihu knew this. He wrote the book of Job. I can show you where he claims to where he's where that's in there. He knew that. What they knew, what we know, what Elihu knew is that Job was God's champion in a contest against Satan. Do you know what? Job did not know that. We do not read in Job where Job was told. God did not tell Job, Job, you are my champion. But Job was God's champion in a contest against Satan. And he didn't know. You may be God's champion in a contest against Satan and there's no guarantee that God will ever let you know. You know what God told Job? God told Job, my wisdom is greater than yours. My foolishness is greater than your wisdom. You don't understand everything that's going on. This world is bigger than you have any idea And you don't understand it. That's what we know. I don't know whether I'm God's champion in a struggle with Satan. But I do know that God knows more than I do. Okay? I do know this world is bigger than I have any idea. There is a physical world that we can understand sort of, almost maybe... Talk to physicists. They, have, they, they think they know it, but they have no idea. And they get doctorates for, for presuming things that might work mathematically that have nothing to do with reality. Okay? The more they study, the less they know. I can say that unequivocally. Okay? I believe a doctor of science qualifies me to say that the more you learn, the less you know. Because you learn there's more out there than you had any idea. My daughter has a shirt. 
I think I've claimed it. Those that think they know everything really annoy those of us that do. (laughs) See, the world is bigger than we have any idea. There's a physical world that we think we understand, and there's a spiritual world that we haven't got it, that the only clues we have are revealed to us in the Word of God. And I submit to you that the spiritual world is older than the physical world, and the spiritual world will exist when the physical world is destroyed. I submit to you that what goes on in the spiritual world is significantly more important than what goes on in the physical world, and we don't understand it at all. But God does. God does. So although we cannot tie every case of suffering to an individual sin, necessarily, we can say unequivocally that all suffering is the product of sin. And our world is suffering because of sin. We can look at particular ills And the cause, the sinful causes of those ills become immediately apparent. Okay? Our world is in pain. Great pain. Because of sin. Now I want you to understand something. God is not in heaven smiting people. Sin does not cause pain because God smites sinners. The pain that is, that is the product of sin is the natural consequence of that sin. God doesn't have to sit up in heaven smiting sinners. He doesn't do that. In fact, the Psalms recognize how well off some of these sinners are. Because they're not plagued by guilt, because they're not, they don't have a conscience like we do, because they're not alive like we are. And now here's an interesting point. Think about this for a moment. Your pain over your sin. I'm not talking about the product of your sin. I'm talking about the pain that sin causes, but all by itself. Just the knowledge that you have offended Almighty God. Just the knowledge that you have offended the Christ that loves you. Okay, I got to tell on Rachel. She's not going to like it, but that's okay. So she just started two jobs recently, and she's a key holder. It's a, it's a position of responsibility. The girl is just 18. And she's just been working for less than a month in two different places, and she's a key holder at both places. And she says that I got a text from my from Anne. I say, go comfort, go up there and hug Rachel because she's crying. She made a mistake at one of the stores. And she's crying. She's not crying because they're gonna fire her. They're not gonna fire her. They need her too badly. Okay? They're not even that bad. She says, it's like when when you hurt your grandmother. You know, when you offended your grandmother. You know what you know what I'm talking about? That pain. It's not, it's not the consequence of the pain. It's, not the, it's the knowledge that you let someone important to you down. Okay? And I trust everyone here has experienced the pain of knowing they've let Jesus down. Because that's a great comfort. Oh, no, it doesn't feel like it, does it? 
But only his people experience that. Only the redeemed have any idea what I'm talking about when I talk about the pain of letting Jesus down. So brethren, God's not in heaven looking at whom he might smite. He doesn't have to. The natural consequences of our sins will find us out. If the Lord sends affliction your way because of your sin, it is because he knows it's to turn you from your sin because he knows the affliction that he sends your way is less than the natural consequences of your sin. He's trying to get your attention because he sees the train wreck that's coming. And he's trying to turn you off the path before the train wreck. We read further earlier in Matthew that the broad is the way and wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And many there be that go thereat. It's not that God is destroying people on the broad way. That path leads to destruction. That is the natural consequence of our rebellion against God. God doesn't have to do anything. The simple natural consequences of our rebellion against God will bring us to utter destruction. And when God intervenes, it's to pull us off of that path, to get our attention so that we will leave that path and find that narrow way that leads to life. Now, I don't believe either one of those are talking about everlasting life. Then our our salvation would depend on our walk, but it doesn't. It depends on Christ's sacrifice. But you can go through hell right here and right now. If we, if we turn our backs on God and run that broad way, we will find ourselves in hell right here and right now. And I believe when we start out on that narrow way, now, brethren, it's a path, it's a journey, and it's narrow. And we can get lost, we can fall off either end. That's a subject for a different day. The end thereof is life. And we'll live that life. You have eternal life right now. Do you understand that? You that have been quickened by the Holy Spirit, you that have been born again, your souls and your spirits are alive forevermore. And when these bodies die, our souls and our spirits go to God. So you're already two-thirds eternal. Do you understand that? The preponderance of you, no, the vast majority of you, is already eternal. You are already, right now, living eternal life. It doesn't feel like it because we're in these bodies that die. But our souls and our spirits are alive and they're alive forevermore and they will not, cannot die because they've been purchased and redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, have you ever gone to the store and paid for something and forgotten and left it there? You know, that's infuriating, isn't it? Do you think Jesus would spend his blood and not take home what he purchased? Oh no. He's not going. He didn't he didn't shed any of his blood in vain. He is going to take every one of his home to be with him without the loss of one. But that's a subject for a different day. There's pain in this world. There's lots and lots of pain in this world. And we are called 
to be a hospital for God's sick children. Every one of us. Notice, we are also all called to be patients in the hospital for God's children. Do you understand that? He says, I've not called the righteous. It's not like he's called a group of righteous that are now going to be the physicians in his hospital for sick Christians. No, that's not how it works. He's called sick Christians because we're all sick Christians because we're all under the terminal disease of sin. And he's called sick Christians to come into his house and get better and help others get better. But we can't do that if we don't remember that we were sick and who healed us. Who healed us? You know, it is not love to cheer people on the broad road to their destruction. There's a lot of people who think that what we ought to do to love um, people is to cheer them on as they run on the broad road headlong to their own destruction. That is not love. That is the definition of hate. Think about that. If you knew that that road, and they know it, and we all know it, led to destruction. There's on the side of the road, like the Boston Marathon. You know, you've seen how they line the sides of the road on the Boston Marathon. And they're all cheering these people as they run. But the end of that is victory. Because even if you finish the Boston Marathon, that's victory, right? That's, that's, they're cheering them on to victory. But these that are lining the broad way and cheering them on, they're not cheering them on to victory. They're cheering them on to utter and total destruction. That's hate. That's the kind of hate Satan has for you. Because he hates God and God loves you. It's not hate to oppose those who oppose themselves to their own destruction. That's not hate at all. That's love. Think about that. And let us, let us be a welcoming place. Let us be a, a, a group who acknowledges our sins. You know, we all want to put our best foot forward. Um, we all, none of us, you know, we're all ashamed of our sins and we ought to be ashamed of our sins. One of the things about going to church with family is it's kind of hard to hide your sins, right? Because everybody knows. You can't, I can't put on airs when I preach to my, my mom and my sister and my kids. They all know me, you know? It's kind of hard to be on a pedestal when everybody knows you. And isn't that the way it's supposed to be? That's the way we're supposed to know each other. We're supposed to know each other like brothers and sisters, real brothers and sisters. And I'll, I'll close with this because I'm out of time. But be, don't be surprised when there are conflicts. Okay? I'm sure I, I will 
I've got three of them I could pick on. Who do I want to pick on? I'm sure that you all lived in perfect harmony when you were growing up. No, because that's not how my sister and I lived in. We did not live in perfect harmony. You've raised a large family. I'm sure they all got along all the time. You've got some adorable daughters. They're all some of the sweetest people you've ever met. I'm sure they all always got along, right? My, my youngest, my, my, well, my, my, my girls, Anna and Rachel, are both Girl Scouts. And part of the Girl Scout law is that they will treat every Girl Scout like a sister. And I'm, I will be a sister to every Girl Scout. And I'm like, what? Have they never seen how sisters interact with each other? Anyway, if we don't always get along as families, why do we get surprised? When toes get stepped on and things happen among the church. Because we're supposed to be family. If, if there's never any problem, we're not close enough. But you know what? Our mom and my mom and dad, they made sure that uh, we made up. You probably did that too. You probably had that done to you guys. And you probably did it yourselves. And the Lord is here to make sure that we make up. Because we need that. We learn that. We need to learn how to do that. There's a lot of pain in this world. A lot of pain in this world. And, you know, a lot of people are asking, why would a good God allow all this pain in the world and not do anything? He did do something. He called you. May the Lord richly bless you all. Appreciate the good message Elder Smith has brought and appreciate your prayers for a few minutes. Good news, Jared. I know your wife's name today. <laughs> Sorry about that last week. I thought about it after I went home. I love to preach about grace. I love to sing about grace. I've known grace since she was a little girl. And when I looked at her, it was totally blank. And so I just share with you the good news. I may not know my own name, but I know Grace's name today. So let's see if this uh, song identifies uh, with anyone. I, oftentimes the song will come to me and it just, it just really ministers to me. And I know that there's scriptures that minister to us as well. And we'll look at a few verses uh, after we look at this song. We didn't sing it today, but we'll uh, just read through the words. Brother Mark mentioned in his prayer that we take heed to the words of a song. It's, it's song number 555 in our hymn book, and Ira Stamphill wrote the song. He was a traveling evangelist preacher, pastored a number of churches, started a lot of churches across the country, uh, was as close to us as Philadelphia at one time, and he wrote this song, 555. I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from its sunshine, for its skies may turn to gray. I don't worry o'er the future, for I know what Jesus said, and today I'll walk beside him, for he knows what lies ahead. Before we get to the chorus, I'll read the other two verses. Every step is getting brighter. As the golden stairs I climb, basically means the closer we get to heaven. 
Every burden's getting lighter. Every cloud is silver lined. There the sun is always shining. There's no tear. It will dim the eye. At the ending of the rainbow, where the mountains touch the sky. I don't know about tomorrow. It may bring me poverty. But the one who feeds the sparrow is the one who stands by me. And the path that be my portion may be through the flame or flood. But his presence goes before me. And this is good news. And I'm covered in his blood. And in the chorus. Many things about tomorrow. I don't seem to understand. But I know who holds tomorrow. And I know who holds my hand. In James chapter 4, we're taught about tomorrow and how that we're to view tomorrow and how that we're not to be overtaken with worry about tomorrow. I mean, things happen in our life when we look back and we can see that Things that we would not have expected to happen. Sister Marcia, the tragedy of, of your dear friend going to be with the home suddenly. The day before, there was no indication of that. We sometimes are stricken with a, a very serious illness. And we get, I remember when I was, we're trying to figure out what was wrong with my father. And It just never, ever fathomed in my mind that it could be cancer because cancer doesn't run in our family. And I just never thought that that would be what dad's problem was. And I remember being in a hospital in the lunchroom. This was when COVID just started and and folks didn't understand it, that uh, dad had gone in to have tests and the doctor comes out and uh, she said it's it's not good news. It's bad news. And then she showed me the pictures and I said, you've got to be kidding. It, it doesn't, cancer doesn't run in our family. It's amazing how in a moment things can change. And our tomorrows can be far different than what our todays are. A lot of times we worry about tomorrow a whole lot. Brother Mike Rogers says, he said, I hope the Lord will take me home before tomorrow comes. But one of these days, Brother Mike's going to be right. But until the Lord takes us home, this is how we're to look at some of the tomorrows. In James chapter 4, verse 13. This is an old English way of saying it. I kind of like how they say it. I like the old English ways they describe it. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and we will continue there and buy and sell and get gain. He said, for those that feel like they know what tomorrow is going to bring, He said, this is how we're to approach 
tomorrow. Let me throw this plug in right now for Elder Bradley with the Baptist Bible Hour. I listened to it this morning. I encourage you to listen to it. It'll just, I'll tell you, I I was having a hard time this morning and and struggling. And I heard Elder Bradley and it just changed my thinking. And I hope it'll change yours if you're able to listen. It was a really good message. You can can Google it and, and, and listen to it. Great message. He says, whereas ye know not... Here James is saying, you think you have plans about tomorrow and the next day and the next year and the rest of your life. Now, those of us that have lived life just a little bit, can't you look back and see that life didn't really work out the way you thought it would? It didn't really work out maybe the way you planned for it to work out. There were a few Detours along the way. There were some that we chose to take our own self and get off that right path that Brother Chuck was talking about. But then there's some curveballs that come our way that we didn't really plan on. And then there's just life. And so when you look back upon life, you see that it didn't always work out exactly the way that you thought that you would map it out to be. But let's look at what he says right here. He says, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. James says, you don't know what tomorrow holds, but there's somebody that does. We may not know what tomorrow holds, but we know somebody that does. He says, whereas ye know not the morrow. He says, for for what is your life? Really? I mean... Some of us are getting close to being here on barred time. I mean, what is our life? He tells us right here that our life is but a vapor. He says, we're here for a little while. It appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. He says, we don't even know about our own life. We're not in control and in charge of our longevity ourselves. He said there's somebody that is. So how could we plan to go and buy and sell tomorrow? And it doesn't mean not to be studious or to work. It certainly means that. But what it means is that sometimes we get to thinking that we're in charge of the future. And we fail to realize that it's God that is. And the lesson that's brought to us right here reminds us. He says, for your life is but a vapor. It appears for a little time. Ask somebody that's really old and ask them about life. And they'll tell you that it passes so very quickly. Even Sister Perry, who lived to be 104, I told Sister Linda, she's on the phone right now, or hopefully she's still on the phone. I told her, I said, I I, kind of was hoping that your mother was still here because if if I could go talk to Sister Perry, I, I just know that I would leave encouraged. Now, there's just some people that... Uh, You know, if you can talk to them, you're going to leave better off than you were before you visited with them. And Sister Perry was one of them. Brother Oris Jackson was another one. Brother Compton was another one. 
uh, Sister Greenfield, your mom was probably that way as well. And, and there's some that, that you know that you can go and talk to and you're just better off after the conversation. And Sister Perry was one that was like that. Well, here James is saying, you don't even know about your life. Therefore, how can you predict what's going to happen in the future? He said, for this is what your position ought to be. I used to hear this from old timers. Don't hear it too much anymore, but we ought to. For this is what you ought to say, for that you ought to say this. If the Lord will, and we shall live and do this or that. We ought to be looking at tomorrow when we consider our plans, when we consider our course, when we consider our life. We ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, even if it's the Lord's will to spare our life, even if it's the Lord's will to let us live until tomorrow, even if it's the Lord's will, we'll go and buy and sell and get gain. Used to hear that old phrase, and we ought to hear it again. We ought to say it more and more often. Lord willing. I remember when kinfolks would leave, they they would say, Lord willing, we'll see you again. Well, they knew the perspective that it was in the Lord's hands. The Lord is in charge of tomorrow, and the Lord is in charge of our life. Now... The Psalms have meant a lot to me over the last week, a whole lot. I've been able to relate to David uh, a lot and just share in his anxiety and rejoice in his consolation. Uh, And I'll mention some that you can go home and read, and I pray it'll be a blessing to you, We mentioned on Wednesday night, uh, Psalm chapter 11 and Psalm chapter 13. Those are great psalms. Psalm 36 is a, is, a, is a great psalm as well. You might go home and read Psalm 36. And Psalm 37 is a great psalm. He just starts out and he says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Well, I have to tell you, I did a little fretting this week. I'm sure I'm the only one that's been doing much fretting, but I did a little fretting. And so when I read this verse, I thought, this is for you. Might not be for you, but it was for me. It helped me a whole lot. And then it spends the whole chapter telling me how to fret not. I needed that. I needed that. Well, let's go over to Psalm chapter 42. Psalm 42. As the heart panteth, Talking about the deer, it says, as the heart panteth after the water brook. Talking about some that, uh, uh, that, that the animal that's thirsty, that's longing for a drink, that's, that's yearning for something. H- have you ever been just, just yearning for the Lord, yearning for the Lord to intervene, yearning for the Lord to lift you up, l- yearning for the blessing of the Holy Spirit upon your life? Have you have you ever just been yearning for it that, Lord, I I believe I can go on. I believe I can continue even in the midst of all this anxiety and chaos and confusion. I believe that I can continue on if I just can feel the presence and the blessing and the direction of the of the Lord. And Lord, would you would you bless me? Would you fill me with your presence? 
He says, as the heart panteth or longeth after the water brook, so panteth my soul for thee. He says, my soul is hungry for the Lord. Only the Lord can fill, fill us when we're hungry like that. He says, my soul thirsteth for God. Does your soul ever thirst for God? Do you ever just simply become weary of this world in which we're in? Do you ever just get weary of the trials and the difficulties and the burdens of life? And you just, you need to be encouraged. And right here, David's saying, I long, I yearn for the blessings of God upon my life. He says, my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God, when I shall come and appear before God. The psalmist says, my tears have been my meat night and day, while they continually say to me, where is thy God? Others look around the wicked, the ungodly, and they see the the life of the Christian. And when it looks like that wickedness is abounding and they say, well, where is their God? The psalmist says, I need, I need an infusion of the Holy Spirit in my life. I need to be lifted up. I need to be encouraged. I need to be able to walk above these trials and difficulties in my life. He says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. He says, I pour out my soul in me for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept the holy day. I want to tell you, one of the best places you can go when you get down is to the house of God. Brother Mike Rogers and I went to visit an old deacon uh, in in West Texas when we lived there way back in in the 80s. And uh, uh, we went to see him. His wife had passed away and 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 it was on a Friday evening. And we said, uh, well, Brother Lambert, how are you doing? He says, I'm not doing a bit of good. He said, I hadn't been feeling good. My heart's been bothering me. I've got all kinds of problems. And he says, if I live till Monday, I'm going to the doctor. I thought, well, if you're that bad off, you ought to be going to the doctor right now. Not wait till Monday to go to the doctor. If I live till Monday. Well, the time to go to the Lord's house is when you're down. The time to go to the Lord's house is when you're discouraged. And the psalmist says right here, he says, he said, I was struggling. I was having a hard time. And he says, then I went to the Lord's house. And I want you to see what happens. He says, when I remembered, he says, I went to the Lord's house and, and I found joy and I found praise. And, I, and, 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 I, and we kept the holy day. He says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Sometimes I get to thinking, I, I, I don't stay down long. I try to carve out a little bit of time. If I'm down, I just try to carve out. Okay, I'll be down for 15 minutes, 45 minutes, but I'm not going to stay down. And God's blessed me in that. But sometimes I get to thinking, why am I down? God has blessed me so much. God has blessed me so abundantly that one of the best solutions and prescriptions for being down is to take an old fashioned notepad and get you a number two pencil or a pen. And then you start writing down all the blessings that the Lord has bestowed upon you in your life. And all of a sudden it will pull you out of being down. If you start looking back on your life, 
I'm sure Sister Chrissy and Brother Mark, y'all don't ever get down, but if you ever do, just start listing all those grandchildren. I mean, start with Laura and just work your way down the list. That'll pull you out of it. And for those of us that don't have grandchildren, we can claim some of those Hume's grandchildren or, or some of Jamie and Catherine's children or others along the way. Or Camden. Sister Anita will long Camden to us for that. It'll pull you out of despair. You start listening all those blessings that God's given you, and all of a sudden you'll find that you're not overcome with despair, but you're rejoicing in the Lord because you can see that God has already poured out more blessings than what we deserve. And so I read this and I can relate to the psalmist. Why am I disquieted? Why am I cast down? It's, it's usually because I'm not thinking about the right thing. It is. I never get cast down thinking about the Lord. I never get cast down listening to the hymns of Zion. I never get cast down reading God's word. But it's when I'm looking at myself, when I'm looking at everything around, it is pretty discouraging. All right. This is real good. It's so good. At least it helps me. I hope it helps you. He says, oh, my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, will I remember thee from the land of Jordan. He says, I'm going to remember some of the past blessings. He says, uh, yet the Lord will command, verse eight, his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his song shall be with me and my prayer Unto the God of my life. I'm going to share a secret with you. Won't be a secret anymore. Something helps me. Might help you. At night, sometimes I wake up and all of a sudden, especially if it's after midnight, problems are just magnified all the more in my mind. Now, maybe that doesn't happen with you, but a problem that in the morning is not nearly as big seems huge at night. I don't know why. That's just the way that it is with me. Now I'll tell you what I do. And this helps and might help you. I Google hymn time by Primitive Baptist. And it lists 21 different programs that were recorded back in 1970 in the 70s. And it's a 30 minute program and it tells about the author of the hymn and then the hymn is sung. And I just enjoy that. I learn about these hymns and then these old hymns that minister my soul are sung. And I tell you, I rarely make it through a 30 minute program. Now, you know how I rest so well. I use hymn time. Maybe it'll help you. It's a blessing for me. This is just three more verses. Really, really good. He says he gives you a song in the night. Hymn time is scriptural. He says he gives you a song in the night. And he says, in my prayer will be unto the God of my life. I will say unto my God, my rock. Now, I tell you what. We talked last week that everything it looks like is changing. And rarely do things change for the better. Sometimes they do. But it oftentimes looks like things are changing. And it's, at least from our perspective, it doesn't look like they're getting better. So 
When we look around and we see so many things changing, it encourages us to know that we're taught in Hebrews that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's going to always be the same. And right here, the psalmist says, I'm going to say to my God, and he says, He is my rock. You want to know how to stand in all these challenging days that we have? Lean on your rock, on the Lord. Look what he says. He says, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Wow. Doesn't that sound like it's written for 2020? He says, why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? I want to just toss this out right now. I don't know. Brother Mark mentioned in his prayer. Brother Tom's mentioned. Brother Bradley mentioned it. The freedom that we have to go to the house of the Lord and worship and that blessing that we have. We had an old brother in, at our church in, in Texas. He was a, a deacon up in his 80s. He had emphysema. He came to church every opportunity that he possibly could. We went to his home and we were visiting with him. And we said, Brother Towns, in your affliction with all the challenges that you have, why is it that you come to church? He said, I'm going to tell you why I come to church. He says, I come to church because there's probably going to be a day coming that I can't go to church. Now, I want to tell you, he was talking about his physical health. It's very likely we may experience that well. I mentioned I volunteered Brother Mark's basement the other day. We may, I don't want to be an alarmist, but I believe he'd open up his basement for us. And we may be meeting over there someday. Who knows? I mean, there's, there's already a great degree of censoring and monitoring that's going on that we don't even know about. And some of that I have proof of. He says, he says, why go I mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. Now, you've got to hang on with me because the last verse sums it up right here. As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me. He says it hurts. While they say daily unto me, where is their God? And then verse 11. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Well, why are we cast down? He says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Why is it that I experience those seasons? He says, here's the solution. Here's the answer. Here's the bottom line. Here's the rest of the story. He says, hope thou in God. There's no other place that we can with confidence hope in. We can't hope in our leaders. We can't hope in our nation. We can't hope in uh, politicians. We can't even hope in our own lives. We know how fickle that we are, but we can surely hope in the Lord. That's what the psalmist says right here. He says, hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him. This is so good. He said, I shall yet praise God, who is the health of my countenance and my God. So if your countenance, if you get discouraged, 
if your feelings, if you're overwhelmed, then the solution is you run to God, no matter where you are. It's interesting to know that Brother Mark and Sister Chrissy over here can run to God, that Brother Chuck back there can run to God, that Sister Janet can, Sister Reeves can. And it's interesting to know that if we're all running to God, we're going to all end up at the same place. That amazing. He says, you hope in God. That is the health of our countenance. That's how Sister Perry lived to be 104 and still rejoicing in the Lord. And by the way, and Sister Linda can verify this. Brother Chuck, you were talking about pain and how that everybody has pain. Brother Chuck, I had a little bit of pain, just not because of your preaching. I just had pain because I'm, I'm alive while I was sitting here a while ago. Just, I just got to thinking, you know, I, I've got to, I'm not even going to tell you where all my pains were. But Sister Linda and Sister Perry, during the last visit that Sister Linda had with Sister Perry, just a few weeks before she passed away, and she was 104 and several months, she said, Mom, do you hurt anywhere? Sister Perry said, no. Says, I don't have a pain anywhere in my body. Now, that's pretty amazing that somebody 104 years old could have that testimony. That's a blessing from the Lord. It really is. It really is. Well, if your countenance has been, if you've been out of sorts, if you've been, as my grandmother used to say, disturbed, then... You go hope in the Lord. Because let me tell you, Lord's bigger than all this. Lord's in charge. Lord's in control. And the Lord has blessed us and held us up and brought us to this point. And he'll be with us and he'll take us on home to glory. He's going to be with us every single step of the way. May God bless you.